Welcome to Soberholic, a podcast about Christian recovery, where each week we explore topics that can free you from bondage and strengthen your relationship with God, others, and yourself. Now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome back, Soberholics, to another episode of Soberholic with your host, Roger, and your co-host, Jason. What's up, buddy? Hey! Just hey, right? Again, Just yeah. a hey. That's all you're going to give me. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's been going on today? Just working. Just working. Yeah. You're a man of many words today. Yeah. I, well, I went running this morning. How far did you run? Five miles. Five miles. Yeah, it was good. You, you know, the best thing about running is you get to see the sunrise every day. Every, you, you're running that early? Oh, yeah. That's the only time to run. It's too hot. You can't run during the day. Well, dude, I've been doing an exercise bike, you know, around three or four in the afternoon, and it's really been doing it right because I've been losing weight, and that's working for me. But you're inside. Well, yeah, but it doesn't matter. I can't do it outside. You ever seen a one-headed guy ride a bicycle? <laughs> so, give us a status update on your on your weight loss journey. Well, I've been about six pounds. Oh yeah, yeah doing good. That's good. Yeah, so, yeah, no Krispy Kreme today, so it's it's getting better, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, check it out, man. Um, today I wanted to talk to us a little bit about depression, and that's kind of been the story here lately a, a, a lot. And you know, you and I had talked a little bit about some of the things that's happened lately. But you know, we even had—I was talking to you about suicide and and how we see that a lot in recovery, and that a lot of people struggle with just depression altogether. You know. And I know I struggle with depression a lot while I was using, but I've I've struggled with depression even while I'm sober. Have you had that problem? Yeah, I've struggled with depression since I've been sober. Um, now that I've been sober, it's not as bad and it's not as frequent. Um, a lot of the depression I had before when I was still using was just self-inflicted. You know, I was bringing a lot of that on myself. Um, you know, when you're facing prison time and all those things, you know, it's like, I did this to myself. That's why I'm depressed. But I noticed, though, whenever I got sober and kind of after the newness of being sober uh, wore off, I I found myself struggling with depression from time to time. And a lot of times it's just you can't get yourself out of it. You get down in this hole, and and before you even realize it, you're stuck there. Yeah, depression seems to isolate you and make you feel like you're the only one. That you're you're doing it all by yourself, and that's a difficult thing. But you know, so today we're going to bring in our new guest, Mickey Bell. Mickey, how are you hey doing, guys? Well, I just realized I'm on the wrong podcast. <laughs> Jason's getting up before the sunrise, and you're not having Krispy Kreme donuts, and you're giving a weight loss update. This is the wrong <laughs> podcast for me. You should have went to, to the, other, like, the yeah, other show. I need right? to, I'm, in, I'm in the wrong CR group. I need to go in the overeaters, in the overeaters <laughs> group. This is not the one for me, but I'm glad to be here. Well, Mickey, I mean, okay, so I want to tell our listeners about you, but I don't know where to start because I know you um, are the pastor at Grace Church Bessemer. Yes. You are now a comedian. You're traveling around with – with a couple of different people, right? Yes, and that's kind of all kind of working together to kind of surround the subject matter of depression and what you guys are talking about today. So it was really convenient that you invited me 
to talk about this particular subject. Well, God works in, in great it ways. Is, it is. Because yeah. if you'd have brought me in on anything else, we'd have just been sitting here looking at each other. Yeah, because I saw <laughs> your Facebook page like you were selling a T-shirt that would not do anything to help me. What, no, what, what, what does it say and say? Well, because sometimes in my um, in my comedy, in my routines and stuff, I'll get on this whole subject matter of I ain't never. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I say is I ain't never seen a casket had a flat top, you know, they're always curved. So eat all the donuts you want. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, have you, ever seen, have you ever seen, have you ever seen a flat coffin? No, they're always yeah, curved. Always, gotta make always room, room to grow. Gotta right? make room for everybody. Yeah. Eat all you want. So you can you take it with you. You can. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> but you've also are an author. I mean, so you've written the book, I Am David, right? Yes. And that shocked a lot of my English teachers in high school that I actually did that without coloring pages. Well, you had uh, someone to edit it for you. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Definitely, my wife was like, I have no idea what this chapter means. So, uh, but yeah, we what I did was I paralleled my story to that of King David out of the Bible. And uh, when I got to really digging deep into his story, and I started looking back from my childhood on, we we shared a lot of uh, similarities. There, there are a lot of things that he went through as a child that I went through as a child. And I see a lot of the mistakes that he made. Now, I've not made king yet, um, but I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get there. Mickey Bell 2020, baby. There you go. King, <laughs> King of something. <laughs> well, um, so today, let, let's kind of dive into a little bit about your book. I okay. think it's a great place to start because really you kind of wrote it with the ideal of, well, of, of your life, but how you've dealt with depression yourself. Most definitely. It kind of starts with the whole premise of the fact that I was serving as a senior pastor of a very vibrant church. It was a growing church. We were baptizing people. People were getting saved. People were joining the church. And when I say a vibrant church, I don't like to use numbers, but I do to kind of give people a perspective that, you know, we were talking about 500 people or so of average attendance. So we, we were getting up there, especially for the small community that we were in. Well, during that time, I started making some sinful mistakes. I started making some decisions that led me down a road that once the church found out in a matter of 10 minutes, I was unemployed and I was homeless because we were living in the church house. So my wife and my daughter and I were then in a moment to where uh, we didn't know what we were going to do. Um, I knew that everyone in the church was turning against me. Uh, I didn't know if my wife was going to stay with me because I had given her every reason to leave. Um, so then I got to that point to where I just hit the lowest of lows in depression to the point that I did not even want to live. And then when you had people encouraging you, like it would be better if you would just disappear, that wasn't helping. But then I found myself not fighting for a ministry, not fighting for a job, but I was literally fighting for my life. But you see, you know, you made the comment that people were were, kind of after you to leave, you know, Mm -hmm. getting on top of you. You know, with when I when I think of that, I think of a pastor. You know, you being a pastor, the spiritual leader of the church there that there's really just no one for you to reach out to. You're you can't. Just, you're you're kind of all alone there. You can't. And and I, I used to I used to kind of term it this way. It's spiritual suicide. Uh, it's ministry suicide when you do that. Because any time, and, and I've been to the, the conferences, I've been to the pastor's conferences, I've been to the pastor's training, and I know what they mean when they say things like, find yourself an accountability partner, uh, find, find another pastor you can talk to, find someone that you can go work out with and you can share your intimate secrets. You can't do that. And I'll tell you why you can't do that with people in your church is because that's always something that they're going to hold over your head. You never vent down. You always vent up. 
You never talk to people inside the church with the things that you're struggling with. The sad thing right now, and we're seeing it in the news almost every day now, the sad thing about it now is that the pastors have absolutely nobody to talk to, and they're struggling, and then they're wondering what they can do about it, and a lot of them are ending their life because they feel like they have nowhere else to go. And see, that's kind of the opposite of Jason and I because we talk about accountability a lot here on the show, and we believe 100% in accountability yes. partners and be able to share like just like you're talking about that you wish you could be able to share, mm-hmm. we get that. I mean, we get that often. In fact, he and I, we, we do that very much between uh, between us. We're able to share those shortcomings with one another. But I could see the difficulty as a pastor because everyone seems to set a pastor up on a pedestal, do they not? Right. And what I think would be key to trying to remedy you know, this um, this problem that, that a lot of church members, you know, face with with their pastor they place them up, up on a pedestal is the pastor and the leadership of the church being intentional about teaching the church that the pastor is just is just like them mm-hmm. they need the same things as they do they they need uh you know they need their their personal devotion times they need the same things and have to do the same you know, spiritual disciplines that the church members do and that they're not perfect and they're going to make mistakes. So I think creating that culture in the church of understanding that the pastors are just like them. Yeah, that that's the key because what I found out in my situation was that the individuals that I had shown grace to, the same individuals, the same men that came to me to say, hey, I have done this. I have done this against my wife. I've done this against my family. I help counsel them and stand with them and help them fight for their families to the point to where they received that grace. They were, they were able to, uh, to save their marriage. They were able to save their status as business owners and people in the community. But then when it came to me that needed grace, and that, that's a great question, what do you do when it's the pastor that needs grace? And a lot of our churches are just geared to get rid of him because he's not worthy you know, to be in our building. The The fact of the matter is we're finding out more and more every day that our pastors need a whole lot more grace than what a lot of our churches are willing to give. But see, I'm, I'm talking from the standpoint of the pastor that has something to hide. Um, that's what's so difficult is because in my mind, uh, now that we're on the other side of it, you know, because Roger, you're like me in the sense that everything that I've ever done is out there. Right. Um, I put a lot of it out there to set the truth straight, to set everything straight. But then I also found the freedom that if I put it out there, then I release you from the ability of being able to use it against me. That's right. And so, but see, as the hurting pastor, in the mindset of the hurting pastor, I can't let anybody know this because I've come up with a reason on why everybody would find a way to use it against me. I see exactly what you're saying there. And really, a lot of that boils back down to the whole depression, too. It right? Because well, that's what leads to it. Exactly. Now, all of a sudden, I've bottled all this up, and then it's a form of depression that I'm having to deal with. It's a grief because I can't get rid of this. I can't get the same freedom that I'm preaching and helping all the other people in my church get. Now, all of a sudden, I've got a struggle and a fight within, just like anybody that's dealing with depression. But I, I think too that not every church is like this no not at all but i have seen a lot of churches that are like this uh the pastor here at my church he'll tell us when he's struggling he'll tell us when he's down and when he feels like he you know is is struggling and and 
you know, maybe depressed or whatever, he'll let us know. He'll ask for prayer. And I feel like he's modeled, you know, that whole creating a culture of, hey, I'm a human, you know, I, I, I need the same things that you, that you all need. But I also agree, totally agree that it's good to have somebody totally disconnected from That's all different. your circles and from your church, you know, that you can talk to. Go ahead. And I just, I was just saying the church that I pastor now is the church that I planted. And it was people that already know what I did, that mm. know my past. And when new people come in, I tell them, this is, this is who I am. Mm. I preach it in my messages. In fact, right now, while we're, while we're recording this, I am preaching a series on depression. And I'm going through and finding people in the Bible, our favorite biblical heroes who dealt with depression and some that wanted to end their life. And they told God, take my life, take my life now. So I'm actually dealing with depression now. And I'm finding that people, they respond to me more because I'll stand up and say there was a time where I wanted to burn people's houses down instead of ask for forgiveness. And they relate to that because... <laughs> See, we y'all do like too. That, y'all, like that, y'all got that list too, right? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, because you know, I, I'm I'm pastoring a church in the hood of Bessemer, and I kid people a lot of times. I say, "What do you like about being in the hood of Bessemer?" I said, "Well, I can get people saved, but I can also give them a list before they get sanctified, so I can get, use that to my <laughs> advantage." You know what I'm saying? So, but I think there's a lot to that. I think what we're talking about here is something that needs to be talked about, and it's the fact that the churches that are about to see the growth is going to be churches like what Jason was just describing, and that is the pastor that is relating to say, look, I'm hurting, or I'm dealing with this, or I'm having a struggle, and the church that is okay with that is going to be able to see growth in their church because the people that come in the door that are struggling are going to be able to say, this is the place for me mm-hmm. because they're going to love me and not judge me. So if we get, jump back to where you were, you, you've left the church that you, we were talking about in your book. Yes. Okay, and so you find yourself in a depressed state. Oh, um, terrible. Talk to us about what depression looks like. Oh my goodness. It was so dark. Um, when we had to find a house, uh, we found a house, um, about 45 minutes away from civilization. Uh, I would describe it, but your listeners in other States would not understand, but just imagine finding a place on the river, just as far out where there's not even internet or cell service. And that's where we were. Uh, we, I found a house that you had to be coming down to our house. There's no just driving by because I was so nervous and scared that I thought people were staring at me, pointing at me, talking about me, laughing at me. So when my family did talk me into going out to eat, we were driving an hour, an hour and a half away. I, I could not take the chance on running into people, um, even to this day. And we're several years removed from this. Even to this day, when I walk into a restaurant or walk into a public building, automatically, I do. I can't stop it, but automatically I will scan the room just to see if there's anybody that's going to trigger something inside of me. So I got to the point where I didn't want to live. I did not want to get out of the house. Um, now, keep in mind, my wife has every reason to leave me, and I should be trying to do everything I can to save my marriage. But at that point in time, I was just trying to breathe. I felt like every morning I was suffocating. Um, I felt like that uh, I had no one to talk to, which I needed to talk to, and I didn't understand that at the time. But I just, it was it was a very dark place. It, um, it sucked the life out of me, and it sucked the air out of me, and I just couldn't breathe. And uh, so I understand 
when people say, um, because, you know, you got your overly spiritual people that say, well, saved people don't think about suicide. And if you're close to God, you won't think about suicide. Well, I've got Bible to back that up to say that you're not, you're not really truthful about that. Don't really know what you're talking about. Um, but I understand when people say, I could see a benefit out of me not living anymore because I was there. And, and one thing I hear you say um, is that you know you're not saying that you didn't commit a sin or, or do things that, that that you know that you you're taking ownership of those things, but you found yourself because like Jason and I, you know, we we we've done different things in our life, and with the depression that that I was in, I can't speak for Jason, but. When I when I saw myself where I was committing these different sins in my life, there was also the guilt that comes along oh, yeah. with depression. Yeah, and so with the guilt and then the depression, then there's the shame that comes on top of that. I mean, I'm with you. It was just total isolation. It's the only place that I felt comfortable. And even there, it was just me, myself, and I doing the thinking. And then was I was my own judge and jury right. there. So I was always hanging myself. But see, unlike you guys, I was raised in church. So I didn't have a dealer to go to, yeah, because that's where a lot of people will run to. Exactly, that's what I we didn't have to, the, to get our numb. I didn't, we I, didn't, it. I didn't have a bottle to run to because I'd never had that in my life. I'd never taken a drink. I didn't know that that's where that numbness would help. Mm-hmm. So in that time, uh, that I can understand why people would do that. Right. And my whole outlook on individuals who do that, I don't condemn that person that does that because a lot of times they're just going to what they the only thing they know. You know, hey, how about this? Why don't we just thank them that they ran to the bottle instead of the pistol? Right. You know, wh- why don't we just why don't we just address the fact that they they they're at least looking for something to kind of help them through the situation? So what did you do? I mean, you found yourself you was away from this church. You're starting new ground here, and now you find yourself in a really dark spot. Listen, how, I was miserable. How did you get out of it? Oh, I was miserable. And uh, in my darkest point, I had a pastor that reached out to me. And uh, Dr. Barry Cosper reached out to me, and we had like a a three-and-a-half-minute phone conversation. He got me on the phone when I finally answered, and he says, Mickey, you don't know me, and I don't know you. He says, but do you want to be healed? I said, I didn't even think that was an option. (laughs) What do you mean? Because everyone that was calling me was calling me to tell me what kind of scum I was. You know, and how I, mean, I got I chills all over me. I'm mean, yeah. thinking about Jesus <laughs> talking to that man. Do you want to be yeah. healed? Do you, you know? want to be healed? Yeah. And so uh, I told him, I said, I don't even know what that looks like. He says, what I do. He says, here's what I want to ask you to do. He said, borrow my faith until we can be- build yours up. That stuck with me. He said, just borrow my faith until we can build yours up. Mm-hmm. He says, I know it can happen. So he put me in on a team. He had four other pastors uh, a Christian psychologist and a Christian physician that met with me for a year. We met every week, holidays, Christmas, all of it. We met every week. And it got to the point to where I was looking forward to those meetings because guess what he was instilling inside of me? Accountability. Mm-hmm. He gave me somebody. He gave me a safe place for me to talk to somebody to get out everything that I was putting in and everything that the enemy was allowing me to suppress inside of me. And uh, so that that was what happened. And we started meeting for a year. About halfway through that, um, I started feeling something break inside of me. And the pastors knew me. They knew my ministry. Um, they knew my charismatic uh, way about me. 
Um, they knew that I loved to laugh and I loved to make people laugh. And so it shifted that once they got me to open up and got me freeing from some of those things, then they started pouring into me. God's not done with you yet. He's got a mission for you. He's going to set you on a different, a different track and uh, God's going to do this for you. And, and so then the whole meeting started being about, let's find out what God has for you. And so I started really realizing from scripture, by the way, Everything was scripture-based. I started realizing from scripture that God was not done with me. Um, and I always run to Jeremiah 18, where the potter, when the, the pot fell off the wheel and it broke into pieces, the church's rule is get the broom, get the dustpan, get the pieces, and let's throw it away. Mm. But the potter says, no, I pick up the pieces, I put it back on the wheel, and I create something new. I'm not doing anything like I used to do it because I'm not the person that I used to be. God put me back on the wheel, and he created something new. That's good. Wow. That's real good. Yeah, I mean, I was just sitting there thinking about how the Bible takes such care in tarnishing every major biblical character. Yes. And, and like your book with David, you know, uh, you know how he, he fell, and but yet he's called a man after God's own heart. Yeah. We still quote Psalm 23. Yeah, we still quote that psalm, right. you know, and we still we still tell our kids about David and Goliath, and we'll even you know include some of David and Bathsheba's Bathsheba's story, you know, in our messages. Right. But yet we kick everybody else off to the side because you know they didn't kill a giant. But we forget we forget that a lot of times it seems like that all so many major biblical characters, you know, they they fell and and committed sins just like all of us do, but yet we 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 hold them up. You know, and we don't we don't really talk about that a lot, but it just it just shows me. I was just thinking about just the redemptive power mm-hmm. and the restor, restoration that God can can bring on somebody's life like that. It's not only changed my life; it's changed my entire outlook, my entire ministry outlook. I don't care about big churches. I don't care about big facilities. Um, where we're situated, I will have homeless people who will come into our services on Sunday. And we, we have a food bank to where we make sure that everybody leaves with food. Everybody, every Sunday leaves with food. And I have homeless people who will be regular attenders to our church. And I had much rather go and sit in a room and talk to those homeless people. Now, that's not always been that way because I was going to be the, the pastor that, you know, pastored a thousand people. <laughs> I was going to be that pastor. I was going to build nice facilities and I was going to be the mega church pastor, you know. And uh, no, God changed every bit of that. And I could care less about all the big stuff, uh, but put me in a room with some homeless people, put me in a room with some drug addicts, and uh, let me talk with them. And man, that's where it is. Well, that's even how you and I got to meet each other. Yes. I mean, so uh, yeah, because I recognized you as a druggie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's that's the man right that's there. That's the guy that stole my wallet. That's the guy right there. Which, by the way, no, no, so let's go back to your story. So you, you, you found yourself being restored through, um, I think you said Barry Cosper. He reached out to you. Yes. And you met with this this group, this board, if you will, for about a year and going through this restoration pro, um, process. But in that year's time, you're now a pastor, not pastoring a church, but you're a Christian. So where do you find yourself going to church? <laughs> I knew you were going to make me say this. Um, well, 
because of the situation that I was in and cause of small community churches, and you know how small community churches work, where uh, it can happen in the Baptist church, and by 1230, the Church of God know about it, you know. And so with everything with my fall, um, I, I was limited in what I could do. Well, when I started going to these meetings, I wasn't attending church because everywhere I went, I felt like I was getting shunned. But also, you got to keep in mind, the enemy was already telling me, everybody's pointing at you. Everybody's looking at you. Uh, they're texting about you. They're whispering about you. And we were going into places. My wife kept telling me, these people don't know you. I said, I don't know. I know. But still, I, I feel it. And the enemy was convincing me of that. Well, when you have a meeting of pastors, you know, it's kind of a requirement. you got to start going to church. <laughs> uh, so, I, so, so we had to go to church. And so um, I had to find a place to go to church. And so I found an all-black church. All black. All black. I, and and I you are all white. All white. <laughs> and listen, when I went to, I tell people all the time, when I went to this church, it looked like I had a spotlight on me the entire service <laughs> because you could pick me out. And listen, and when I went to this church, now a good friend of mine was the pastor, and I've known him for many years, and he told me, he said, you've got a safe place here because I knew I was not going to find mm-hmm. any of my Baptist people at this church. Yeah. Uh, so I was so I was going to the all black church, and uh I mean, I was loving it, man. They were pouring into me. They were loving on me. You know, <laughs> we, I mean, we would sit in the middle of the congregation and we look like an Oreo. I mean, but it was <laughs> great. And, but I found my place because I could hide there. The and pastor that, could definitely tell if you wasn't there on Sunday. Huh? Oh, listen, it was funny because we, we did have to miss cause we went out of town with some family and we came back the next Sunday and the greeter was standing there and she goes, I missed y'all last Sunday. And I looked at my wife and said, how'd she know we weren't here? <laughs> <laughs> out of all these people, thousands of people, how'd she know we weren't here? <laughs> what was funny though, is this guy, he, he preaches on TV so they're recording all their services. So they, they'll scan, you know, scan the crowd. And you see all of them, then you get to me. And I'm like, people changing the channel. They were like, what? what's going on? Wait, rewind that. Rewind that. <laughs> Something's going on in that church. But it was good. Well, that's cool because a lot of that even sewed into who you are today and the pastor you are today because I know I've been to your church. Mm-hmm. And so I know you you do a, a multiracial, I guess that's the way you're supposed to say that. Yeah. Um, church where you have both blacks and whites and, and even my church is is that. And I see the church is beginning to change a little bit, and I'm probably drifting off topic right now. But I think that's really cool because I've heard it said like the church is the most racially divided place in the mm-hmm. world, especially on Sunday morning. Yes. And and I think that's cool that you're breaking a lot of different barriers and you know, you're reaching You've got a motto at your church. What does it say? Um, where you're loved and not judged? Correct. It, okay. Man, you remember that. I know, because it's good. Because, wow. you know, we, we live a lot like that through Celebrate Recovery. We talk about that a lot, where, you know, you come in as you are and let us love on you until you can love yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what we believe a lot of times in its simplest form. And so I see that at your church. I've seen that with just the way you interact with people. Now you're talking about the homeless people you've dealt with. And, I've seen some of your Facebook posts through your church of the different things y'all have been able to help with the community. And I think that's what the church is supposed to do. And I know all the churches don't really get it right, but I believe overall probably the most of them are trying to get it right. But we're human, just like you. You fail, um, yeah. but yet there's still grace there. Well, I think it's a different set of eyes because I look at it differently than the way I looked at it before. Before I did it because the Bible said help people. Before I was feeding people, before any of this happened, I was handing out food. I was clothing people. I was helping people who were hurt in a tornado. I was doing all this stuff, but I was doing it because the Bible said to do it. And I'm the pastor, and we got to do what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Now I'm doing it because I actually love the people. I'm doing it now because it feeds me to be able to do it. Um, when people come into the church, and this is what I want to say about Celebrate Recovery, the reason that Celebrate Recovery is so powerful is the fact that when people walk in, they know what they're walking into. If we could get our churches to become a Celebrate Recovery meeting, and what I mean by that is people won't go to church services because they're afraid they're going to be judged, and they automatically assume all these people have it together. Mm. All these people are super Christians. They've been Christians for 25 years. They've been serving as deacons. They've been serving as elders. These are perfect people, and I don't fit in here. The church that will become more like a Celebrate Recovery meeting to where when they walk in, we could just announce to the people we're all messed up here Mm. and we're all working to get better. That is the church that is actually going to be what I feel like God wanted when he started this thing. See, a lot of pastors, when they get to heaven— and I know I'll kick a lot of pastors, but I am one, so I can. A lot of pastors a lot of pastors are going to have to apologize to God when they get to heaven. And the reason they're going to have to apologize to God is because God created the church, but the pastors and the church denominations stole the idea from God and took it and did their own thing. So they're going to have to apologize to God because they didn't do church the way God intended for church to be. I really believe church intended it or God intended for church to be like a celebrate recovery meeting that when people walk in the door, they automatically feel like I'm one of these people instead of I don't belong here. I think the church is supposed to be a hospital, Yes, you know, and it's a hospital for sinners. And when you made a comment a while back, you said that now when a new church member comes in, you'll tell them your story. You'll Most tell definitely. them you're, you're, I'm where, open. You've, where you've, where you've fallen. And that's the way we are in our ministry that we do is that, it's okay. That's, that's how this podcast got started. We're okay with talking about our shortcomings in those things because we know that we're still broken people trying to get better. Right. And I think there's a lot of power in that because you'll be able to reach people by talking to those new people that come in and tell them you don't have it all together. Mm-hmm. I know it's opened up many doors for me to be able to talk to people, to share the gospel. I've seen people get saved. Most definitely. And I've seen lives change. Yes. I really have. Well, one thing I want to say about that is when I was growing up, and and I don't know about your guys' history as far as church, but I was raised in church all my life. I knew church. I know church. I know how it works inside and out. I've been in all different denominations. I get it. I know church. But the one thing that I can say is as a child, I never remember our pastors ever being anything but polished. Mm -hmm. They, they, They never got their hands dirty. We never saw them at the movies. We never saw them at the ball games. We saw them on Sunday. And every time I saw them, and this is what I hated, every time I saw my pastor, he was in a suit and tie. And when I became a pastor, I said, please don't make me wear a suit and tie the whole time. <laughs> but that's, in my mind, that's all I ever saw. And I remember that if a pastor ever made a mistake, he disappeared. We never saw him. We never heard from him. We never knew anything. And so I think that's what's changing now. The reason it's changing in our churches is because it's changing with our pastors. Now our pastors are feeling a freedom to be able to say, look, I'm not all you think I am, and I appreciate the compliment, but I'm really not all. I'm more like David than I am like Jesus. Now, if you're okay with that, that's fine. Just don't hold it over my head when I when I let you down because I am going to let you down because I'm human. And I think that's what's happening with a lot of our churches and with a lot of our pastors. It's funny you say that because Jason and I are both licensed in ministry, and so I've preached at several different churches myself, but I was just telling Jason the other day that 
I hardly ever refer to myself as a preacher. I'm mm-hmm. certainly no pastor right now. Not with them shorts uh, on. You're not a preacher. I'm just a preacher. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get, get the three finger measurement Mickey tape Mouse out. Shirt. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not are, sure. Are you looking you up look, my shorts? Listen, so you look nothing like a pastor right now. I'm just going to say. But so I, I always tell people. Oh, I tell Jason. I hardly ever tell people that, that I'm a preacher mm-hmm. because as soon as you do, when they introduce you to someone else, it's kind of like, oh, this is Roger, and he's a preacher. I mean, yeah. it's like a title it's a that dis- comes Well, with. no, what it is, it's a disclaimer because they're saying, look, I'm going to introduce you to my friend, but I've got to let my friend know you're a preacher because they're going to cuss. They're going to cuss. And so I need to So it's like, he's a preacher, so don't say don't anything cuss. wrong. He's going to cuss. so true. So, I, you know, I completely get where you're coming from. Oh, that's fine. But here's, let me bring it back in. Let me, let me, sh- let me tell you what the problem is. What the problem is nowadays is the fact that we have taken sin as a church. We have taken sin and we've kept it on the outside. And we've said, you know, the alcohol and the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll. And we've preached against all that stuff. All right. The problem is that we have saved our members from all of our top sins that we are all against. But what's happening is this illness called depression is now filtered its way inside of the church to where pastors don't know what to do with it because they can't preach against it as sin because they're dealing with it themselves. So now we don't know how to look at depression because it's causing saved people to want to kill themselves. It's causing saved people to want to go drink. It's causing saved people to want to go shoot up. And so our pastors in our churches are having a hard time with this because this depression illness, and I call it an illness, this depression illness is now exposing we really, the people that's inside the church that make everybody feel like they've got it all together, it's really exposing that you really don't have it all together. And so we don't know how to address that now. And so that's why the churches are now in a struggle, because how do I deal with it? And I just left today while we're recording this. I just finished a funeral of a young lady that had committed suicide. Uh, She was a God-fearing woman who loved her family, who loved her kids, who loved her grandkids. No one saw this thing coming. And I'm trying to make people everywhere I go to understand these people are sitting on our pews every Sunday and they're coming to church and no one's talking about it. Do you think there's one of the problems in the church as far as dealing with depression is the stigma that depression gets? And how would you suggest that church members and pastors alike try to try to get rid of that stigma that surrounds depression? Well, first of all, I think we need to address depression as what it is. It's an illness. All right. If if you came to me and you said, I've got cancer, I never blame you for the cancer. If you say, I've got diabetes, I never blame you for the diabetes. If you say, I have heart problems, I never blame you. I always blame the illness. But it's something about depression that we never look at it as an illness. We always blame the individual. Mm. Because then spiritually, I've got to tell you, then you need to pray more. You don't tell a person that's got cancer that. Mm. Then when you tell me you're dealing with depression, then our pastors and our spiritual people will tell you, you need to read your Bible more. Let me tell you something. And I've talked with people that are dealing with depression, just like you guys have, And I'm going to make this statement, and I may get hate mail, but that's okay because I'm not going to give you my real email address. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that people that are dealing with depression are reading their Bible more and they're praying more than most pastors before they ever stand on Sunday morning to preach a message because they're searching and they're seeking. It's not a matter of they need to get closer to God. 
they are battling an illness, and we need to address it as that. And when I was standing in front of that family today uh, that had to deal with a, with a suicide victim, I told them, I said, don't get mad at the person because the person didn't do it. It was the illness that did it. I said, because you would never hate that person if cancer had taken her life. You would never hate the heart. You would never hate that person if they died of a heart attack. So why is it that we as a church have now given that stigma of depression is a lack of faith and depression means you're not as much of a Christian and depression means you're not all together. It's an illness that we need to deal with. And until we start dealing with it, we're going to continue to bury a whole lot more people because they don't know how to deal with it. Right. And I think the stigma extends to seeking professional help. Most definitely. And I think in your case, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but if you wouldn't have had somebody reach out to you, you might not be here today. Exactly. And one of the key factors that he made me go to a Christian physician and he made me go to a Christian psychologist for that purpose because I needed help. Let me paint this picture for you guys because you kind of, Roger, you kind of presented this from the pastor's point of view. Think about this. So depression normally stems around grief because people leave us. People walk out of our lives. So people deal with depression when they have to deal with the death because that's someone that leaves you. All right. Then then people have to deal with depression because of a relationship issue or a broken marriage. So someone walked out on you. So now I'm dealing with depression. Kids deal with depression because parents walked out on them. Or so you see the picture that I'm painting. All right. So now we've got pastors who have to deal on a weekly basis of people walking out on them. Mm. They're going to another church. They're leaving their church. They got mad at this. They got mad at So a pastor has to deal with a constant leaving. And then we wonder why our pastors are not coming forward to say, I'm dealing with depression. They, we should expect them to come forward with that because everything the pastor has to do, we deal with funerals all the time. We deal with surgeries all the time because I'll tell you as a pastor, when my sheep hurt, I hurt because that's the love relationship that we have for each other. And so you got to understand, I should have depression. Look at all that I'm having to deal with. And of course, I remind my church that all the time. You know, if it wasn't for y'all, pastor would be great. Um, but <laughs> The hardest thing about ministry is the people. The people. Man, if it wasn't for people, ministry would be great. But yeah, but that's what I'm saying. But then our pastors feel like, I cannot admit that I'm dealing with this. We should be the first one championing our pastors to be able to go and have, we should be able to pay for them to have sessions to go talk to somebody mm-hmm. because they're having to deal with people walking out on them on a continuous basis. See, my story of depression didn't start with my fall. My story of depression didn't start with my sin. My story of depression started when I was 13 and I found out that I was adopted at birth. When I found out that when my dad found out that my mom was pregnant with me, he took off running. And to this day, I've never met the man. He's already died now. But my my story of depression started then. Something was put on me that I never asked for. Now, I had to pay for my sinful mistakes but my depression came upon me for something I didn't ask for. I, it, it was put on me because my dad walked out on me. Now, all of a sudden, celebrate recovery, I have abandonment issues. Now, I've got issues that I don't even know about. But now, when I started realizing in that year-long meetings of, with the pastors and the psychologists, now I started seeing pinpoint moments in my high school days where I had a girlfriend but I always have a chick 
that's on the backup. Now, I wasn't cheating on her, but I always had a backup, so that way if she ever walked out on me. Now, I know it's funny. Jason, you laugh at me because I'm not a stub muffin <laughs> like you, and I know you're laughing because you think that I can't have two girlfriends at one time. Let me just tell you something, brother. Let me just tell you something. Not all of us can be cute and cuddly like you, all right? Me and Roger, we had our moments. But, but I, I that was just a long time ago. A long time ago. But, but I remember those moments, y'all. I remember that even while I had that girlfriend and while we were in that steady relationship, I can remember, I can remember always having, okay, now if something ever goes south on this, who am I going to go out with then? I was already trying to find her replacement before she was ever gone. And that went all the way through my life. And then, all right, so now, you know, abandonment issues. So they, my first church hires me as a pastor. They asked me, have you ever been married before? No, well, then you're qualified. I mean, because a lot of times that's the only question. We don't care if you have a past drug history. We don't care if you used to be a drunk. As long as you've only got one married, one living woman, you're qualified, you know? <laughs> so, but no one ever asked me, hey, do you have abandonment issues? Because, you know, that's something you need to get fixed before you start pastoring because you're going to have people walking out on you. No one ever talked to me about that. So my, my depression started at a young age that I did not know about. But it took a sinful fall. It took a sinful mistake. It took the pain that I went through. That's why I wouldn't trade anything for it. Because of the fact that it took all of that to bring me to the realization of what was instigating all the decisions that I was making. Well, I think it's really cool uh, of how you're able to lay that out. Because you even opened my eyes about even seeing a pastor of, of how y'all just see loss. And I say y'all because I'm looking at you, Jason, you, you as you pastor here. Yeah, because I'm not a pastor, Jason. Yeah. Let's just look at Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I think you still got abandonment issues. Yeah, he's, he's, he's talking about me. I'm texting my wife right now. I'm saying they're talking but about I, me. I do see that from, from the positions you hold is that, you know, whether it be death where you're always in nursing homes or, or doctors visits, those things. And let me ask you both this question. You mentioned about how even church members leave, and this may be a personal question. You don't answer. You don't want. To, you don't have to. But like, if you see, say, Sally Joe over here at church, and she's been coming a lot, but then you you find out she's left to go to another church. Do you take that person yes, as a sir. pastor? Yes, sir. At first, and then you realize, you know, that it's not you. You right. know. Because I, I could see that. Right, Jason's trying to keep his job. I don't care. Right. I will tell you. J- Jason, Jason's just wondering if there's anybody in this church that's listening to him right now. No, no, I'll tell you. Here's why I take it personally, because then all of a sudden, my, my issues come back to me. Because, see, in my mind, and the way the enemy plays these games, in my mind, my dad who never left me, I was never good enough for him. So he left. He never gave me a chance to not be good enough. So that's where I relate my story to David because, you know, when uh, when the prophet came in, Samuel came in to anoint the next king of Israel, David was not even invited to the party. So I parallel my story with that. That's how the book I Am David goes because I, par- I, I know what he feels like because my dad never gave me the opportunity not to be enough. So, yes, I took it personally because I had issues. Because of the fact now, what, am I not good enough? Do I need to preach better? What, what is it? Did I not call you enough? I mean, I was calling you every day. What, 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 was, what was the issue? I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not enough because as a kid, I wasn't enough. Right. So the enemy would always use that against me. Now I don't care. Right. You know, because I'm out there. I'm free from that. Now I still, you know, 
I still don't know why people, you know, like Roger, I know what church he goes to, and I don't know why he chooses to go to that church. I'm just like, you know, you had the opportunity to come to my church, and you go to somebody else's church. But no, but I do. I don't know why those pastors wouldn't talk to exactly. him. Exactly. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why, you know, with all the issues he's got, he ought to come to my church. No, but, but if any pastor, and, and I'm not putting Jason on the spot because I know where he is, but any pastor that tells you they don't take it personal is lying right. because it affects you. Now, you, you can get to a point in your ministry where it doesn't bother you as much, and you can get to a point in ministry, like Jason said, where it bothers you at first, but then you kind of get over it. Yeah, you can get to that place, and I'm kind of there too, but you take it all personal. You take it all personal because uh, it's your livelihood. It, it's what you do. It's what you've chose not only as a ministry but as a profession. And so, yeah, that, but, but the stigmas come with that. You know, now I have to fight off, oh, I'm not good enough. And well, I preach better than he does. Or what? Why did mm. you choose him over me? Mm. Now you've just given the enemy all kind of darts to use. And so, what would you guys? Or, or I say Mickey. I say you guys, but Mickey, what would you say if if you got someone who now they find themselves they're hearing you right now they're struggling with the depression? What would they need to do today? First of all, whoever's listening to my story has realized, look, I'm not as messed up as that Mickey Bell is, so I'm doing pretty <laughs> doggone good. good. Yeah, <laughs> anybody that's listening right now ought to be able to say, I, I've got a life worth living. Um, but no, here's here's what I would suggest you to do. Uh, you're talking about a person that's finding out they're dealing with depression? Is it could be doing? a person that's dealing with the depression right now. It could be a pastor that's dealing yeah. with the depression. I think that your story and, and the picture you've painted – is for anyone in that dark situation right now. If you find yourself in a very dark situation, you've got to find an individual in your life that can show you light. For me, it was Dr. Barry Cosper because right. all I saw was darkness. And you've got to find that. It's in Proverbs where the Bible says, anxiety brings on depression. That's the New King James Version. Uh, you may have your translation say a heavy heart, but we get the same Greek word for depression. Anxiety brings on depression, but a good word makes you glad. All right, so what the proverb is is teaching us is that we've got to find some way, someone, somehow, to get a good word inside of me. Now, a good word to me may come in the form of a song. It may come in the form of reading scripture. It may come in the form of a friend or a pastor that's speaking life into me. But I've got to have a good word planting inside of me to let me know that there is life at the end of the tunnel and that I can get help and that it's okay to admit that I need help. I think that's one of our business. And, Roger, you deal with that in Celebrate Recovery in the sense that you try to get people to say, first of all, let's admit that we've got a problem so we can fix the problem. I think we need to do the same thing with those that are in that dark place right there. Just go ahead and admit right now. And how about this? Those that are listening right now, if we can just minister to them right now, why don't you, while you're listening to this, uh, if no one's around, why don't you just openly with your mouth just say that right now? Why don't you just say, I've got a problem and I need help? There is something freeing by just saying that. It sure is. Mm-hmm. So just say it. Just right where you are, just say, I've got a problem, I need help. That is the first obstacle that you need to overcome. Now, let's seek out some help. Go find you a Christian psychologist. I, I would would want to recommend you to a pastor, but honestly, not all pastors know what to do. Find you a Christian psychologist. Find you a Christian physician. 
go into them and say, these are the thoughts I'm having. This is what I'm feeling. They're going to know what to do. And, and really, you could just, t- I remember you saying this at the beginning, that you could just borrow someone else's faith until yes. you get yours built up. Yes. And that's what Barry Cosper told you. Yes, and that's what I'm doing on tour now, is I'm going around and I'm sharing that depression is real, and it's okay to admit that you've got a problem with depression. But that's what I'm trying to get people to understand. I'm trying to get people to admit that you've got a problem and you need help. And so let's get help. Let's, let's get help. Let's open that communication up. And let's get help. And then we also got to do our part. And when we see somebody struggling, we know somebody's struggling with depression, we have to reach out to them. Yes. Well, one cool thing is that the story's not over. I mean, they can go back and get your story. I am David. Where do they buy that? Amazon? Amazon. Know? Anywhere you buy books, you can get you can get this book. Now, the book is called I Am David, A Pastor's Fall Into Grace. The reason, because the saying is the pastors fall from grace, but I didn't fall from grace. When I fell, I fell into the biggest hand of Almighty God that showed me grace when other people were not willing to. So I didn't fall from it. I fell into it. And so the book is going to tell you everything that I did wrong. It's going to tell you everything that I was thinking, everything that I experienced. But I'm also going to teach you and show you how you can also get redemption if you need another chance. Amen. Well, let's move into what we close in with all of our guests, and we call these the final four questions. And so, okay, here we go. You, you've heard these questions. I'll let you prep for these. Like you've had a week to prepare for. I these. know, but I didn't read the text till today. So it, go ahead. It, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> with you. I mean, that because and you I know have, that I have literally texted you before and not get a response for like a week. It's abandonment issues. It is issues. <laughs> You're still struggling. I'm man. still struggling. Let me let me tell you about a celebrate recovery. Yeah, I need to attend. You. you do need to. I, I need to attend. Okay, so the first one. Okay, can you name uh, can you name a book other than the Bible? Because everybody likes to go to the Bible. Yeah. Can you name a book, movie, or podcast that has changed the way you look at an area of your life? It's called I Am David. You can get it at Amazon. <laughs> uh, it's written by Mickey. <laughs> Amazing story. It is a great story. I highly recommend it. Uh, it's touching tens of people. Um, <laughs> We uh, <laughs> all, all ten. Oh man, we've sold. A, I mean, in the high tens. <laughs> I, I guess one of the books it didn't really help me through my struggle, but I think has been a lifesaver for me is a book by Pastor Robert Morris. It's called The God I Never Knew. Um, it kind of introduces the Holy Spirit in a different way than what Baptists are used to uh, hearing about the Holy Spirit, and uh, he comes from that denominational background. And uh, I, I, I think it was that book that just really opened my life into the fact of when I was dealing with depression and felt all alone, I really wasn't alone because I always pictured God and Jesus as being in heaven. And I never realized that I actually had a God living inside of me and that of the Holy Spirit and realizing that I have someone who can help me fight these struggles. And so once I went through what I went through and the restoration process, and went through the books that uh, that Dr. Cosper had me go through. Once I got this other book, that kind of helped me live the life after uh, the redemption process. And what was the name of that book again? The God I Never Knew by Pastor Robert Morris. All right, number two. If you had a blank billboard mm. to share advice with the world, what phrase would you put on it? Man, I'm telling you, I, I really thought about that on the way over here. Uh, depression kills. It's an illness, not a person. Mm. Good. Because we need people to realize inside and outside the churches, we need everyone to wake up and realize that we're fighting an illness. And if we could get people to fight depression like we fight drugs, trying to get drugs off the street, we would be saving the lives of many people inside our churches and out. 
The third one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. After that, can we take an offering? I mean, after, <laughs> I mean, honestly, after that, can we? I just feel led by the Lord to you take an offering. Get, you didn't even get amen, I did didn't. You? I mean, y'all just looked at me. Y'all gave me that stinky face agreement like, mm, that was good. I feel like we need to take an offering right now. If the ushers would please come. <laughs> well, three of us here, you're not going to get yeah, I'm not. We may yeah. get enough to buy you another Gatorade y'all there. Y'all celebrate recovery, it. people. Y'all not going to give anything. No, we're not going to give a thing. But talking about Celebrate Recovery, we're going to bring it back to this one. Yes. Number three, and I know you did not work the 12 steps, but you're familiar yes. with them because you've had this at your church as yes. well. Yes, And so I, I know you're familiar with these, but when, when when talking about the 12 steps, what is your favorite step? Okay, I'm going to tell you my favorite step, but I'm going to tell you that it was the one that I hated the most, and it was step number five um, because it talks about talking to God, confessing, and I was okay with that. But it's talking about confessing to other people. Mm. We've already talked about that. Right. I hated that verse in the Bible even before I knew Celebrate Recovery. Hated that verse. I'm like, I am not telling somebody else what I have done wrong. I am not doing it. You've got to be kidding yourself. <laughs> I'll tell God all day long, God, I have sinned in this way. Forgive me. But then say, confess one to another. And Roger would say, and Roger would stand up and celebrate recovery. Remember, and let's go in our small groups now. Anybody want to share? Anybody want to confess? No, I don't want to confess. I don't want anybody to know what I've done. Hated that verse. But then when I went through my one year of meetings and I got to live out that verse and I actually got to experience the healing that comes from being able to talk in a safe place and just to say it, just to get it out. That's when I realized that that was my favorite part of everything was the one that I hated the most. And that was confessing to somebody else that I'm not all that. I hear that from a lot of different people. I mean, it's like just the weight of the world falls off your shoulders. Oh, instantly. Mm -hmm. Y'all, if people that are listening to this could realize that instantly, we're not talking about a week later that it kind of hits you like, oh, I'm feeling better. No, no, I'm talking about instantly. But I do believe there's a process to get to that yes. point. You can't just walk out and walk to the greeter at Walmart and just start telling them everything. <laughs> well, that, that, that's why it's step thing. number five. That's why it's not step number one. It's exactly. step number five. So there's four others you need to go through before yeah, you do five. So uh, th- there is freedom if it's done correctly. Yeah, <laughs> greeter at Walmart. That's good. <laughs> Brother. You, you uh, can borrow that welcome on tour. To, uh, Welcome to Walmart. Listen, i got to tell you what I did today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so finally, how can people reach you? TheMickeyBell.com. Uh, the Mickey Bell, just go there because MickeyBell.com was already taken. The Mickey Bell.com. You can go there. Uh, you can read about the story, get the book. You can also see where we're going to be on tour, uh, how we can come. We do a lot of church services on Sunday nights. Uh, we do the tours on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, I'll come back home and do church on Sunday, but then they free me up on Sunday nights. So I'm going to a lot of churches on Sunday night, sharing my story, doing the comedy, and then giving an invitation for people who are dealing with depression. And I'm telling you guys, it is amazing, amazing, amazing when those people come forward and we can actually pray with them and actually encourage them during that time. So themickeybell.com. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for thank coming. Thank y'all. In. This is awesome. Yes, thank and, you. And spending time with us, man. I mean, I can't believe that you really had an hour to come up here and do this because, like I said, you do everything in the world right now. Well, you you keep me busy, but um, but but I do anything for you, man. I, 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 mean, I hear that lie from a lot of people that sit in here. <laughs> well, Jason, man, that's another show in the books. Yep. Well, I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
see you next week, Soberholics. <laughs>